Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, we have a former champion from pole to the win back in 2019. He's going to be starting in row number eight coming up on the 107th running of the greatest spectacle in racing. Simon Pagano joins us. Hello, Simon. How are you today? Hello. I'm great. I just, just heard about the news, uh, Tina Turner, man. It's, uh, you know, she... She rocked my childhood, so really, really sad to hear the passing. That is a great way to put it. And obviously, being from France, you know, I'm here from, from Indiana, it didn't matter. Because if yeah. you're around your age, our age, Tina Turner did help, musically speaking, shape what we listened to during our childhood. That is incredibly meaningful, and you may not realize that completely, and unfortunately, Simon, until somebody or that person in this case is gone. Exactly, exactly. It's such a such a surprising thing, but uh, she was great and really, really, really marked my childhood. You know, raised I was raised in France, and she was a huge star. So, um, you know, very, very sad to hear the news. Yeah, but just, she had a great life, though. Yeah, one of the more original voices you will ever hear and she was in in one film that i knew obviously the the biopic what's love got to do with it was about her life but she was in mad max beyond thunderdome and it, it i still can't get past when she says thunderdome nobody else says it like tina turner it was awesome <laughs> Back in go. the day. All right, so um, preparation. You're on a Wednesday today. You've been through this many times before. You've won this thing back in 2019. Do you have a routine of preparation with the uh, the week leading up to the race? Anything you do? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing is we, we try to uh, promote the race as much as possible. I just went to a, a school, elementary school, uh, with Elio, actually, and we had a great time with the kids. And it's basically what we do is just sharing our uh, passion for the sport, for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the race with kids and, and raising awareness towards what it is, uh, what makes that race so special. And it was so cool. The kids were so excited. We played games and uh, we had a great time. So that's kind of what we do. And when we have a, a moment, um, about an hour at a time, then I try and go see my engineers and discuss what they found um, when it comes to uh, performance and uh, and what the weather is going to be and, and how to approach the race coming up. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be fantastic weather from the way yeah, we look at it right harder, now. The harder for us, the better. Well, our race car is so good, um, so the harder, the better for us. So Simon Pagano joins us. I want to get into some of the things that uh, you guys hope to do coming up on Sunday. But when you were growing up, when did you become aware of the Indy 500? At what age? You know, the Indy 500, the, the funny thing is, is um, I was already into racing when I, uh, when I heard of it. And um, I remember vividly of a day at my grandpa's house. Uh, it was a Sunday. We were just... Uh, was just having a great time with my cousins, and um, there was this big black uh, TV, big box TV, um, black and white, 
and uh, and I heard about the excitement uh, on the TV, so I, I poked my eye around and saw that it was the Indy 500, and it was the year that Rick Mears was fighting with uh, Michael Andretti, 90, I believe it was 91. Um, so I was basically five years old, and uh, sorry, seven years old, and um, and that race was going on. It was so exciting, and that's the first time I heard of the Indy 500. And since then, it, it was a dream, dream to uh, see it. Then a dream to drive in it, and then a dream to win. Yeah, you go from pole to winning. I, I thought about this a little bit earlier when when I knew you were going to come on the show. How great! I mean, it's a great day. You win, and it's a great day, right? But, I mean, how near perfect do you have to be to drive from the pole and then to take that thing home and to win it? Ah, one hundred percent. It was a perfect day, a perfect month for us because we won the Grand Prix, we won the pole. Uh, at Indy, and then we won the race. And honestly, the pit stops were perfect. The strategy was perfect. The car was fastest than anyone. And my drive was probably one of my best drives ever. So, you know, that day was a heaven day in racing. You don't get many of those days in your career. Uh, I was just very fortunate that it happened uh, here at the biggest race in the world. Were you a perfect driver that day? Honestly, uh, I hate saying it, but it was definitely my best. My, I, up until that time, it was my best performance. Uh, so, what, what was that perfect at the time? Yes, because you know uh, that's yeah. what I was trying to reach. Uh, would it be perfect today? Probably not, because <laughs> you always try to improve. <laughs> I, um, Simon, I was thinking about it from this standpoint. Is you probably remember because you're so high level. You probably remember every every bobble, every mistake you make as a driver. And when you have a race like that, I mean, it's easy to cover up all that, the mistakes you make during the race if you win it. But if you go from the pole and then win it in the fashion in which you did in 2019, you would probably easily remember mistakes like that. They would stick out. And when you can't vividly remember something like that, you did have a pretty darn good day. There's no doubt about that. Was that your best day ever as a driver? Uh yeah, I mean, you know what? Actually, the 2021, when I finished third, right behind uh, Elio and Palou, I think was an even better drive. Uh, but it didn't show because I didn't win, right? So, yeah. um, you know, the car wasn't the fastest that day, but I came back from, I believe, 20, 20 somewhere on the grid to, to third, and it was a tough year to pass, and we were able to do it. So, to me, that was a better race, more complete even. So, um, you know, sometimes you actually do better in defeat, and uh, but it doesn't get uh, shown as much. What made that a better drive than one in which I mean, other other than making up so much ground and coming back in the fashion in which you did? What what made it from a driving standpoint a better drive, even more so than the time when you won in twenty nineteen? Well, simply, um, honestly, when you start at the back, it's much harder because you have to pass all these cars and you have so much adversity. Um, you know, starting at the front with the fastest car, it, it's a simple job. You just gotta, you just gotta get it done. Uh, but then when you start at the back, you have to make things happen. Um, and uh, to me, that was a, a very aggressive race. Uh, we drove on the limit the entire time in 2021, and I didn't waste any time uh, going to the front. There was a, a race against the watch, you know, to try to be in a, a contending uh, position. 
by you know lap 170 and we got there and then we fought for the win so um so that was great and a lot of fun um very difficult to get there on time uh and then have a chance to to fight for the win it's us simon pagino joins us the former champion of the andy moore automotive group hotline how'd you uh come away this past weekend thinking about your team where you are your car and uh, what you might be able to do coming up on sunday what were your thoughts after this past weekend you know, I really like my odds. Um, my race car feels really, really good in traffic. I'm starting uh, I'm starting in 22nd, which is uh, the, the number I was racing when I won the race. And I'm on 8th row, which was my first racing number, 8. So I think my uh, superstition is really coming together here. You're selling me on uh, this, too, because I'm incredibly superstitious. <laughs> You're selling me right I here. Very, I can't be superstitious when I need to be. <laughs> And, you know, in this job, it's all about believing and convincing yourself that you can get it done. And I'm certainly at that level now. Um, we just had a great night with my crew at Top Golf. Um, it is not a partner of mine, but we really had a good time <laughs> just being together. Uh, you know, it's about chemistry. And yeah. I feel like my team is really gelling. We, we had a tough start of the season, but we are in a good spot right now. And I, I really like that. Uh, I like my race car, and I like the way that I feel. So... I think we, we have all the chances in the world uh, to be contending for it. Simon Pagano joins us. Is that a part of the feel leading up to Sunday and, and Sundays of the past with the Indy 500 in mind, feeling that your team is gelling together? Is that something that, that you have gauged over the years before the race, the week leading up to? For sure. It's uh, it's very important. You know, you're not alone driving that race car. You, you got to have a crew around you. You need to have a strategist with you as well. And it's um, it's about aligning all the stars. Uh, and that's very important. And that mojo, you know, is everything in racing. So if you can feel that way, then it's, um, it gives you the, the boost of confidence you need. And I certainly feel that way today. So it's uh, it's exciting. Are you superstitious? Uh, you know, in general, no. Are but, you superstitious uh, like when it benefits you? Because I, I kind yeah, of am me 100%. too. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's exactly how I am. What, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what was the last? Uh, what was the last? When, the, when was the last time that you you recognized it was obvious to you you were superstitious about something? Was it a, a number? Was it something that took place? What was it? When I won in nineteen, the morning of the race, um, I just felt something different, and I told my wife. Uh, bring Ma- Norman, our dog, bring Norman to Victory Lane and the French flag. She said, Simon, you never say stuff like that. I said, yeah, because today I'm going to win. And uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, in a way it was superstition. In a way, uh, I had seen the number 22 everywhere that month. <laughs> and, uh, and I just believed. Um, but it was outrageous to other people because, you know, before the race I called it. Yeah, and it happened, uh, and it's the only time in my career I've done that. That is, that is calling a shot right there. So yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> no, it was pretty cocky. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, did the uh, your driver friends? What, how did they feel about that when when you told them that story? Well, I I, I haven't told with uh, my uh, driver friends because I don't have many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I did tell all my buddies, yes, and, and my family. Uh, I did tell that story, but uh, yeah, it was. It was a it was a weird omen for sure. Yeah, I um I stop and and pick up pennies uh, because you know find a penny, pick it up all the day. You'll have good luck. Would you do that if you found one out in front of your RV, like when you're getting yeah. ready and get? Would you p- pick up the penny and rub it? 
I would definitely do that, especially if I saw, um, you know, um, the the four uh, four leaf um, oh, four yeah. leaf as well on the ground. I would definitely pick it up and put it in a special place. Simon, I grabbed I, I grabbed a penny from the Kroger parking lot this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you did? Yeah, I don't well, even know. I don't know what I'm needing good luck for. I just I think to just to make it like to keep going i need that that good luck so exactly um meyer shank racing simon pagino before i let you go here uh you said the team chemistry you feel that gel you like where you are right now you feel pretty good about sunday all in all don't you i do you know i don't think we have uh the pace uh to be on the proposition obviously we we don't we don't have that but we have a car that's really consistent. I'm really happy about how the tires are behaving on my car. And the hotter it's going to be, the more it's going to show the weaknesses of other cars. And uh, it looks like it's going to be a hot day. So yeah, I feel I feel very comf- confident, very comfortable. Uh, I know how to play the game. I think that's the biggest thing with experience now. Um, so yeah, I look forward to Sunday. I'm actually excited about Sunday, and I can't, I'm counting the days. So uh, I'm in a good spirit. I may change my pick here. I had initially hey. picked Takuma. Hey, um, you know, I'm a good salesman. That's what my dad does. So you know, I learned from. It. <laughs> I think you sold me. I may have to change it now. <laughs> I feel good about, it, especially with all this penny and four leaf clover stuff. I mean, I I'm, I may have to change that up. Hey, the best of luck to you. You're always a fantastic conversation. I appreciate well, you more you. than you know. The best of luck coming up on Sunday, and hopefully next week uh, we're doing this with you after your your second win coming up here on Sunday. I'll talk to you next week then. You got it. Simon Pagano right right there. I love it on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I try often not to be a drag. I try very often uh, not to be um, a jinx to those that appear on this show from Ed Carpenter Racing. Friend of this show is Connor Daly, who is with us right now. Does it worry you that maybe you're getting a bit of a jinx by appearing on this show today? I hope not. I think I could point to several other things that uh, could be jinx-worthy, but uh, I don't really believe in that stuff. I'm just going to go out and do my uh, my job on Sunday and hope it all works out. <laughs> See, it's what's funny. I just talked to Pagano, right? And I didn't know that he was that level of superstitious until I talked to him. So a lot of, a lot of guys, you aren't, clearly. A lot of guys around there that you know, are they, are they superstitious that you're racing against from what you know? I would say so, yeah. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's easy to get your let your mind run with things. Uh, it's easy uh, afterwards as well to look back at things and think, you know what? That's probably why I didn't have the best day ever. So uh, that that's that's easy to do as a driver, um, especially in a sport and a race where um, so much can happen that's outside of our control. And uh, all we got to do is do the best job we can do, and whatever happens. Uh, you know, happens. All right, then. Tell me this. Connor Daly joins us. What is the percentage of execution and talent on Sunday compared to the percentage of good fortune that is necessary to win, in your estimation? Oh, man. Honestly, it's the perfect combination of both. I think if you look um, at, at, at several different winners, there's several different things where you could say, well, that was uh, awfully on the side of good fortune but when you 
in the end of the day, you also say, well, they, they also had a fast car. You know, Marcus Erickson last year had a fast car all day long. I think all the Ganassi cars had fast day, fast cars all day long. Um, and, you know, Scott Dixon was on his way to winning that race, but but there was a mistake made. You know what I mean? And you got to be perfect. Um, and Marcus had a really, really good last pit stop. He uh, he got to the front when he needed to and, and made it happen. And, you know, you look at uh, Alex Rossi's win. He had a fast car all day as well, um, but uh, happened to call the fuel strategy right. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can win this race. But realistically, I wouldn't say there's many winners where you're like, yeah, they weren't, like, good at any point. So um, it's, it's, it's what this race is all about, just being the best you can be all day long. Uh, things have to go right, yes, but you as a driver – the team in the pits, everyone has to execute at the highest possible level. And as long as you give yourself a chance with 20 to go after all the pit stops are done and you're in the top three, then it's, uh, you know, a lot of it's in my hands. But, uh, you know, you never know what else could happen as well. It's uh, Connor Daly of ECR, the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to jump back to something you mentioned uh, about thinking about what took place during the race, after the race. Are you somebody that, do you beat yourself up a little bit? Do you go back and and, and think about and then kind of relive and go over uh, a number of times what took place and maybe what you could have done here better, maybe what happened here that shouldn't have and it did? Do you beat yourself up a little bit? I think when you personally know that you, you could have done something better, yeah, absolutely. I think there are several things that, um, you know, I've looked back on and I'm like, man, you know, that, uh, like getting hit by Graham's tire, you know, I, I really couldn't have done anything about that. Yeah. And, and you look back and I was like, I really thought we had a car to win that day, but you know, there are drivers all across the field. You know, I'm sure you asked Tony Kanaan, he's done this 500 so many times he could have won several different times, um, you know, until he finally did. Uh, so there, there, there's so many things that can happen to you. Um, but realistically, if there's something that you personally can do better, the goal is to show up here or the next year, whenever you get to do it and, uh, and, and eliminate those mistakes. And I feel like that's why I keep getting better here every year is I, I keep trying to eliminate, uh, you know, small things, gain, use the experience that I've gained. And, uh, and I, I, I think it shows. And I, and I, I, I want to, you know, I want to win this race more than anything. And, and I know this team does too. How different are you as a driver because of that experience you're talking about here, Connor? Oh, I think I'm definitely um, different, just just more patient, more mature about things. Um, but, uh, you know, also, you know, have to be aggressive when we can, uh, when we can be. And, and I think that that helps. I, I, I love doing this race every year because you learn so much in 500 miles. It's such a long race. It's such a long day. Uh, and, you know, even things in the pit sequences and how the track changes, you know, the, the pit out lane was different, a little bit different last year, a little bit less grip. So you had to drive it a little bit differently. And that kind of affects how we immediately go into this year. Cause it's very similar to last year. So there, there's small things that you just always have to find uh, and always, always improve on, um, you know, to give yourself the best chance. Yeah, I was talking to, I think it was Kyle Kirkwood a little bit earlier today. And uh, he, he spends a lot of time in the race simulator. How much time do you spend in that? And, and how much help comes away from being in that race simulator? Honestly, for Indy, it's kind of useless. It's um, Indy is so hard to simulate the absolute raw limit of grip and, and capability of the car. Uh, we do a lot of laps to try to get a general idea of a few different things at, at Chevrolet Simulator. Um, but, like, you can never simulate that feeling that we all get in qualifying over the weekend where you are hanging on for dear life 
avoiding the 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 slight scrape of a wall um the every moment of 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 oversteer in the car every, everything like that it's just it's it's so hard to simulate that so for me you know it's it's more about the on track experiences but we do plenty of virtual laps um you know to to at least make ourselves feel good about it. <laughs> so, Connor Daly with us from Ed Carpenter Racing. How would you feel after this past weekend? When you look back and reflect, what were your thoughts initially about what took place, where you start, and the weekend overall this past, Connor? Honestly, man, I feel really good. I, I, I think, um, you know, looking back on it last year, uh, I definitely do the. I, did, I definitely didn't do the best job in qualifying. I've struggled there. But I also kind of went off on my own island when it came to uh, setup. Uh, last year for qualifying and um, you know going away from what Renus and Ed like is not a good idea so I really wanted to stay in their lane uh, this year because I knew they were always fast and when it comes down to it sometimes you just don't have the pure raw speed depending on conditions depending on the car that you're in depending on certain things so um, I would say my engineer and I uh, you know did a good job trying to get the best out of it you know whatever we could Uh, you know probably if if we'd have gone out, you know, maybe a hair earlier, I think we, you know, we fight to stay in the top twelve a little bit better with our first run. Um, but uh, I mean, when it comes to the last few practice sessions on on the Thursday, on uh, on on Monday, um, you know, any t- any time we've been in race conditions, um, we've been very very confident. So I, I I don't have an issue at all with what went on. You know, we improved a little bit on our qualifying performance over last year. Uh, which is fine, and the field got tighter and tighter as usual. So, you know, point two of a mile an hour or even less, you know, separates me from Ed. And I know Ed's a really good qualifier here. So, um, you know, the goal is the race. You know, uh, there are Dan Weldon, Dario Franchitti, I believe, have both won from 16th, um, and those are two uh, two pretty heroic fellas. So, um, you know, I don't I don't feel bad at all about uh, about how we're looking going into Sunday. Hey, Connor, did you say you went away from from Ed and Renus a year ago? You went away from what they were doing? Did you say that? Yeah, a little bit mechanically because um, you know it, it it's tough. They they lo- they love to drive a car on edge, and and I I like to trust the rear of the car a little bit more. Um, but this year we've been able to uh, eliminate that. Um, you know that feeling for me. The team did a great job giving me kind of something that I could drive confidently for four laps, um, which was nice. So Connor Daly is with us. How do you like being a part of ECR? I mean, honestly, man, when you show up to the Indy 500, you know you have a fast car. Uh, we, we, I think we've proven that year over year, um, and and it's you know it's great to be a part of this team here at this at this racetrack. Um, I think overall, I think we we everyone would would accept the fact that you know we want to be better at some of the other tracks on our schedule um and and i do hope that uh you know we can we can do that as a team but uh, we know the the strategy side here we know how these this race works this team has a lot of great experience here and all the crew guys everyone involved in our in our group um definitely know uh you know this place like the back of their hands so uh you know we we, we love coming here we love competing here and we love trying to put uh you know three three cars as close to victory lane if not in victory lane as possible so i hear tony donahue's keeping you pretty busy do i hear that accurately well he's been involved in a in a in a, in a Michelob ultra deal that i've got going uh locally here in indy um i'm fairly sure Michelob ultra as a company doesn't know that it's going on but locally we're at least <laughs> doing doing a pretty good job of uh of promoting it and uh and getting people to enjoy the month <laughs> I love it, Connor, man. That's great, dude. <laughs> no, I hear you're having a good time out there. You're going to be at uh, Total Wine, I believe, later on today, correct? 
Yes, yeah, six to seven o'clock, and then tomorrow uh, I believe it's a Kroger in Brownsburg, and then that's it for the month. So I've done a total of six, six appearances for for Michelob Ultra this this uh, this month of May, and they even put billboards up with me during the well, during the month of May, I which know. is something that's uh, a new thing for me. You like being up on a billboard? It was weird. I'm not gonna lie, uh, but it, it was uh, pretty cool. I, I I will admit it felt felt nice, um, and I, I felt cool to be. You know, I, I think a Michelob Ultra car at the Indianapolis 500 yes. would look really cool at some point. Obviously, we have a great partner in Bitnow.com right now, but uh, it'd be. I always, I always liked the 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 beer sponsored cars uh, back in the day. They always looked pretty cool. So maybe someday. Man, Connor, we were just talking about that the other day too. I mean, when you're thinking about it with, uh, you know, Bud and, and Miller and, you know, whether you're talking about Danny Sullivan's, you know, Miller car or oh, Miller man. Genuine Draft, those were all such good-looking cars and such great memories right there, too. I I think you're the, the type of personality to sell that to Mick Ultra, to be honest. That's you. Well, you know what? We're going to work on it. We're going to put this bitnow.com Chevrolet in victory lane on Sunday and, uh, and, and bring everyone on board that we can and, uh, and, and, and all continue to ride that successful wave into the future. Yeah, and no doubt. No doubt about that. Everything else going all right for you, too? You enjoying life like you normally do? Life is great. This is uh, the best time of year. I can't complain at all. Um, I am absolutely dying to go racing on Sunday. Um, but also, I love Carb Day. I mean, Carb Day is a great time to get out and practice, uh, make our last adjustments. We're going to run through a couple things. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super happy. Life is great. Family and friends are here. Um, my girlfriend is here for her second Indy 500. So uh, it's, it's an awesome experience overall. Um, I mean, yeah, this is uh, this is better than every holiday and birthday wrapped into uh, one. You're from here, so you've known all about this. Um, others not from here didn't. But I know the racing is one thing. You know, the carb day, as you mentioned, is, is something great. But compare the time you have getting ready to start and all the, the majestic pageantry that is going up, all going on in this case, leading to the start of the race. How incredible is that to be a part of? I mean, it's awesome. There's not a year that goes by where I'm not uh, in tears uh, after the national anthem um, on the front straight uh, on the grid of the Indianapolis 500. It's, it's, uh, it's an emotional experience for me. Uh, you know, looking back at the videos, too, of when, whenever I've taken the lead here at the Speedway, hearing how the crowd reacts, you know, seeing the support that I've got from this incredible state and city and, you know, the surrounding areas of Indiana. Uh, you know, I love representing for our for our city and our state and, 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 and everywhere else, you know, around this area. I, I, I love I love being from Indiana. I love, uh, you know, growing up here. Um, and, and it's another reason that I, you know, I want to win this race so bad is because I think uh, – you know, we'd shut downtown Indianapolis down for several hours in a row, if not days. Yeah. How different is it being here compared to those out there that are racing against you that aren't? Obviously, Ed gets it. Your your team owner gets it. But how, how different is it being from here, you know, and, and getting that reaction from the crowd and, and knowing and thinking about, yeah, what if – we won the 107th running what would happen that's going to dance around in your mind often i think about it every day every day before i go to sleep every day when i wake up uh it's what i live for um you know that that you you can envision it in your mind uh you know endlessly but uh you know when it comes to sunday you just gotta you know 
It, 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 a lot of athletes say, well, it's about the process, all that stuff. Um, I mean, it, it legitimately is. Like, if you do the best job that you can do, you can be proud of it. And I think last year um, and, and even 2021, um, you know, I felt really proud of the effort that we put forward and, and, and getting closer to, you know, to, to, to being in victory lane, seeing, you know, not – not as many cars in front of me when the, when the checkered flag flies, you know, I want to be the one that has no cars in front of them uh, when the checkered flag flies. So um, I think about it all the time. And I love explaining to other drivers, even rookies at this race. I, I explain it like a kid on Christmas morning. It sounds like I, it's just the greatest feeling ever being at this event and being part of it. And I, I, I just hope that it gets, you know, you always hope, everyone turns on the TVs on Sunday because I think this series deserves a lot more recognition um, than it gets. And hopefully, you know, when it comes Sunday, we, we do get that recognition. You know, it, it, this feeling has to be great as you're explaining, and I mean very eloquently explaining the, the feeling that you have. Do, do you wish that it, you had this feeling more than just once, or does it make the feeling that much greater because it's just this annual event, this this annual moment in which you, you have you know this deeply rooted feeling that being from here is probably just different than everybody else? I mean, honestly, you can't have two of them. So I think, you know, having the one Indy 500 is the best. But but the best part about it is that it's not just a weekend. It's not just a Sunday. I mean, it, it's, it started what feels like end of April when we tested here. Uh, you know, anytime you get to start driving around here, um, that intense passion is, is, you know, is, is lit up inside of you. Um, and, you know, the, the, the everywhere, like, I live in this city. I go to dinner out here all the time. I do things in this city. And just in this month, it feels like every single person knows who you are, yeah. even though I've probably seen all these people a hundred times a year. But I, <laughs> I, I, this, this month, you feel like a hero. So it, it, it's really cool to, uh, you know, to experience that. And I don't think anything else could, could ever match it um, when it comes to the feeling and the, and the excitement around it. Nah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right in the way that you described it. I don't think we can find anybody better, you know, outside of of the team owner, Ed, who's going to be on with us tomorrow to explain what it truly means and what it means to you both. Because, again, being around here, Connor, it's just just different. I mean, it is. And and you're right. You want to see, like, this branch out and become even larger outside of Indy. But there is still still something incredibly special about how much it means to everybody around here, too. And then, as you mentioned, this time of year being, being more so noticed by everybody walking on the street, knowing what you're about ready to embark upon, got to make it that much more special for you. It really does. Yeah, and, and you know what's awesome is the fact that, like, this event, like, there's not many tickets left for sale. You know what I mean? Like, people are coming. It's not like it's it's going up in, in excitement, and, and the attendance is so strong. I mean, even over the weekend, I think every day that we've been out at the track so far this month, it feels like the attendance is absolutely fantastic and, and, and pushing, you know, pushing the limits, getting closer to, you know, the, the sellout of the 100th running, um, you know, not too long ago. So I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if there are no tickets left, uh, you know, come come uh, come Sunday, you know, grandstand seats. I mean, I, I have the president in my house, uh, 
he's a member of the family. So I, I get I get updated statistics. But I, you know, if you don't have tickets, you better get them. And if you want grandstand seats, you better get them because um, I, I know that sales are going well, and and I love to see that passion for this event and people wanting to come to this event. But you know, we also want it to get the attention nationwide that it deserves. You know, we want people to watch in every state and every every country all across the world. You know, if they can. So. Um, you know, hopefully we get that done. You know, it's it's funny too. I gauge it on how many people ask me for tickets, and yeah. I go I go back to the one hundredth running. I can't remember a time when when people continuously ask me for tickets. You know, it was like one the one hundredth they did, but this is in the same ballpark. Exactly, and and I've I mean I've got people literally begging for parking passes, any type of tickets. You know, it's. It's something that I would have said last year I was able to help people out with, but this year it's impossible. But that's great, and, and I'm, I'm excited to have, um, you know, that feeling on Sunday when you drive around. I mean, every year it looks like it's sold out, but, you know, it, it's something that when you see, I think what we're going to see on Sunday, it's going to feel, um, you know, extra special. And we, and we appreciate that. We as drivers, we really do appreciate um, the love and support that we get here at this event because, um, you know, we're – we're putting our lives on the line every day to try to put on the best show possible and to bring home, uh, you know, a win on Sunday. I got people wanting to fight me for my service parking sticker. Because oh yeah, you could man, that's that's a that's going to be a battle. Evidently, that's a big deal. I didn't know how big of a deal that was until somebody said, Shh, "Hold on a minute." I think people are going to be really mad that you have it, and I said, "Why are they going to be really mad?" Well, because they want it. That's a big deal. Evidently. Oh yeah. So, get wherever I want. All right, you're at uh, Total Wine. What time are you and uh, Tony Donahue up there doing some stuff tonight? 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock up on the northeast side. All right, don't let uh, Tony run you astray or anything tonight. you got to remain focused here, all right? Remain focused. I will. I promise. And uh, one of these days, i got to hear about what your suit closet looks like compared to the Speedway president's suit closet. Are they similar? Suits? Absolutely not. I think he's got an entire closet for suits, whereas you might find one suit in my closet. <laughs> well done, man. Hey, go out and get it coming up on Sunday. And uh, can't wait to talk to you again, Connor. Have a great run. Thank you so much. I'm assuming our next guest has. He's the pride of Ohio. Once upon a time, he was the music director at Fox 103.3. Right before they threw out the warrant, threw out the winger, threw out the bullet boys, and went into the grunge era that became X-103. He has long time also been affiliated with the IMS Radio Network. You can hear him on the PA. You're going to hear him on the call coming up on Sunday for the 107th running of the greatest spectacle in racing. And he has been for a long time a close personal friend of mine and somebody I've admired forever. The track dude, Michael Young, joins us today. Hello, track dude. What is up, you homo humping slowbo baby? <laughs> that would be whale. I believe whale. That is correct, sir. That I believe. Is, ding, ding, ding. That is the correct answer. Uh, to your sloppy Joe comments. Yes. The A&W in Delphus, Ohio, my hometown, the only A&W I know that made sloppy Joes of all the A&Ws, the best sloppy Joe I've ever had in my life. See, when is the last time? When's the last time you had a sloppy Joe? It's got to be a while, right? A year. I, my I, my grandma had a great sloppy Joe recipe, which I'll break out every now and again. 
but the A&W Sloppy Joes in Delphus, Ohio, to die for. Don't I mean we really shortchange loose meat sandwiches like crazy. We should embrace them more than we do. Agreed. It, it is one of the, the the true delicacies in life, and and the thing that in a day and age where we're all about smash burgers and things of that nature, we yeah. need to get back to the to the, the old fashioned. Loose meat, sloppy Joe sandwich. Nothing better. Completely agree. The track dude's been out there all month, and obviously IndyCar and the IMS Radio Network. Uh, Simon Pagano came on last hour and was incredibly confident to the tune to tell me he was going to win. And he feels that way, much like he did, and he said and described back in 2019 when he felt the same way. Um, What have you seen from him? that would would give him that inclination that that is a possibility coming from where he is going to be? I haven't seen that Meyer Shank team as racy as maybe. So Simon obviously knows his car better than what I've seen. I think they've been okay. I mean, with the fastest field in 500 history, with the fastest front row we've ever had, it, it's... It, I, I would imagine the winner will come from the first three rows. You, you, you've got Pelot, who you just carbon copy of Dixon's car last year. Had Dixon not made that mistake, he went to second. First Spaniard ever on the front row, he'll be fast. BK will be fast. And then Felix Rosenquist with Aaron McLaren on the outside of row number uh, number one. Row two, a fast row. But you, you look at row number three with the most wins combined ever. So you've got Alexander Rossi, Takuma Sato in the center, and TK on the outside. TK's got a heck of a shot. Those first three rows are pretty stout. And it's going to be interesting to see what carb day practice looks like because it was a mess on Monday, as I think everybody is well aware of, as now we've seen, you know, poor Steph Wilson, you know, with a fractured vertebrae out of the race, gives Graham an opportunity to get back in. But it was just an odd practice session that I heard several drivers commenting. It was just guys were running like extremely slow. Like, what, what's going on here? And I think it caught several drivers. Uh, off guard and the practice, I think, should be more representative of what we'll see on race day come carb day, but we'll see. I I think I'll have a better gauge on Simon's car then. I think the workhorse of this month, just being on the the PA and and on radios, Alexander Rossi's turned a lot of laps, and he's got an extremely fast car, and I think he's got a heck of a shot to win this thing. It's just in race trim, I think he is is spectacular. But then you go the Honda out at Alex Pelot. Man, oh man, is he he going to be fast? And you think about what could have, would have, should have been back in 2021 when he when he was hunting Elio Castroneves down. Pelot's going to be real good on race day. How good is this race as far as what you believe it's going to be compared to what we have seen in the past? I will, I will say this. I this is such a long month because just uh, you just do so much and a lot of times when race day gets here it's just a relief that it's finally race day and we're going to have the 500 which just is unimaginable even having an opportunity to work for the radio network and then it's over and you're like well crap now it's over and we got to start all over again i'm always excited about race day but this race day for whatever reason i just think it's going to be magical it just I started thinking about this on on Monday after the practice session and and everything that happened. I just Graham getting announced. I'm like, man, this is just going to be. 
a fantastic race. I, I don't see how it can cannot be a fantastic race. With this fast field, it's going to be a lot of fun come Sunday. So the track dude, Michael Young, you can hear him out there on the PA. What do you start, like 6 a.m. on the PA? Something like 6 that? 6 a.m., yeah, 6 a.m., and I'll go with Greg Rakestraw till yeah. 11 a.m., and then we'll bring Alan Bestwick and Dave Calabro in and go right from PA over to pre-race meetings and then head out to turn two to call the race. You a big Adam Driver guy? You know, not I stopped caring about movies and 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 those types of things. Yeah, it's like 2010 was kind of where I stopped. So now I feel like the old guy. I mean, I'm well aware of who Adam Driver is. It's just. You know, it's very cool that he's here and um, uh, Halliburton driving the pace car, Jewel yeah. singing the anthem. It's going to be fun. I mean, it's it's got the markings of being just a killer. Not that the 500 isn't a killer day and event, but this year I think it's going to be something extra special. Yeah, you like all the other stuff, too. And by the way, you're not going to be ever as old as me because I've not been to the movie theater since September 21st, 1999. So... Wow. Never going to be as old as me. What what movie was that again? It was a Star Wars Episode One at the Shiloh Theater in Avon. Yeah. On yeah, a I Sunday just, uh, afternoon. And it was so terrible. Not yeah. necessarily the experience, but just the movie was so terrible. I thought, no. you know what? I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that that would have turned me on going to any more movies as well. I think I saw the last, the last thing I saw in the theater was the last Indiana Jones, the Crystal Skull one. And I was like. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> and then they made another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I just can't, I can't put myself to, to watch them anymore. Although the theater experience is great, it's like, yeah, it's hard to, hard to get back and do that thing again. I would not uh, even know. How long have you been with the IMS Radio Network? Well, we, that's funny. I, I've been doing this so long, I couldn't remember. So I had to go back and actually think about it in 2010 i was on the public address i called the race with dave calabro um that was the year of canon's big you know starting at the back and going to the front and with a huge wreck at the end and dario's second win and then i started that next year when jr hildebrand we thought all all of us thought had the race won and, and hit the wall so my first year with the network full time was in 2011 so this will be my 13th year yeah it never gets old for you you can tell in your voice and your enthusiasm that none of this ever gets old for you well I, i'll apologize to the fans early i i try to tone the enthusiasm down but man you get out there and call on these things it's just it's so exciting and it's just such an honor to work not only with our anchor mark james but nick yeoman jay query chris denary davy hamilton and all the guys we have in the pits it's it's a world-class broadcast team and just to think that just to, to be a part of that like a kid from delphus ohio how, how the heck this ever happened is is far beyond my wildest dreams i'll tell you that you ever talk do you ever talk to any of the old schoolers from x103 I'm trying to think who the last person I talked to. Slam and Sam and I talk a little bit on Facebook, and um, it, it's it, once we once everybody parted ways. It was just kind of just that it kind of ended, and you know, we, we everybody kind of moved on. It's 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 weird how it was such an important part of this city and, and music seen for such such a long time actually when you think about it, just a short amount of time but not as much as i, I wish and it's just it's funny i think one day we'll all sit down and do yeah. a reunion and, and think back about it but uh 
yeah, that was a pretty magical time in this this market, especially as as hard rocking as we were, and then going to the alternative stuff. It was just just crazy fun. Well, when you fl- I, you know what? When, when you flipped that switch, did people around I, here go crazy? When you went from you know the hair band type of rocking stuff uh, to alternative, and when what people described as grunge, then did people go crazy around here? Um, it wasn't. It was ill received at first, but when we first started the station. And the, the alternative stuff we were playing, we still played some of the heavier stuff as well. Um, so we, we kept it. It was an easy transition. It, it wasn't it wasn't so abrupt as some of the other format changes have been in this market. It was it was still hard, and we still kept some of the, the, the solid rock X103 stuff when we went to Indies New Rock Alternative. But it it. We lost a lot of listeners, but we gained even more with the transition. I'm thinking so it, was a, it was a plus. Who'd you? Uh, let's see. Was it Andy Chanley in the morning? That's Andy who it was. Chanley. I, I talked to Andy about a year ago. He's working out in California in LA doing mornings out there or middays. And uh, um, Madison. So Andy, Madison was Madison, the midday. She, yeah, Madison's in midday. She's in Arizona now. And, and who did? I know Dangerous Dick did the nights. Right, I, danger, dangerous Dick. I, who knows? He could be on Mars or Venus as an interstellar traveler. <laughs> did he get? Dick. Did he get fired for playing nude Twister in the studio? Yeah, things. Yeah, things. I don't remember the exact dangerous Dick moment, but yes, there were things that got a little out of hand after hours that. Uh, in this current day and age, whoo, it would not have been good legally for for the property. Oh, yeah. oh, I didn't know it went yeah. that in depth. Ah. Oh, well, I mean, any 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 little thing anymore can be prosecutable. So yeah, yeah. you guys uh, used to do Loveline back then too, right? Oh yeah, that's yeah. And, and uh, Dr. Laura came in for so many of those excess. Yeah, we did all that. <laughs> yeah, God Almighty, you bring it back. <laughs> Yeah, those are a lot of a lot of good memories, a lot of crazy memories. I can't believe uh, just some of the excess. You know, it's funny. I was talking to um, a friend of mine about Limp Biscuit and the whole Fred Durst nightmare at X-Fest on the second stage one year and how what a nightmare. And I, I watched the Lollapalooza movie and everybody said what yeah. a nightmare that guy was. And it's just, yeah. It's, uh, I went to lunch with Tony Donnie and I went to lunch at uh, Weber Grill with Fred Durst about six years ago. And and how did that go? Is my question. He was all right. I mean, it, he I mean, he just dropped a bunch of f bombs there, but he was he was cool. He left a, he left a message on the answer. There was an answering machine back then, right? That you guys played often. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Yes, he left several messages. But, <laughs> um, uh, I, I. He was a guy that I loved to hate, but you couldn't not play their music. Right. And. I remember when he went solo and he personally called the radio station after all the stuff that he had done, asking if we'd please help him out and play his song. And never have I reveled in telling a guy, no way would this ever happen in my life, is telling that to Fred Durst. I was like, Durst. dude, could have been a... Could have been a great partnership, but you ruined it. So was yeah. the uh, was the story true on X Fest on the second stage about Goldfinger with the uh, oh, finger yeah, in the rear? About four, yeah, if I was four feet away from that happening. So I was stage managing that. <laughs> what had happened was they played the last song, they broke into the next song, and the sound guy in the middle of the, the field was told you had a half hour and that was it. So last song's over. They start playing another song, and he pulls. 
all the sound down. So standing on the stage, I'm looking at the manager, I say, they got to go, I got to go. And they get about a minute into the song, he realizes none of this is going, they're still hearing their monitors, but none of it's going out to the house. So he literally turns to the crowd, pulls his pants down, gets his gold finger going on, and runs over to the sound guy at the side of the stage, who he thinks is the one that has caused this, and cleans his finger out on the guy's shirt. <laughs> and that guy had nothing to do with any of it, and he's sick of all my... Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was, it was a not, that was a bad day. That was a bad moment in excess. You're in the guy, bedroom. Oh, yeah, my goodness. That did happen. Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah. Goldfinger. That it just uh, The name fit the band. Well, it, it could have been a different color, but you get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, slide yeah. slide by on Carb Day if you get the opportunity, and um, well. we'll see you on race day, too. Too, if you get time as well, track dude. It's always great to catch up with you. Yeah, indeed. Right back at you. Sounded great. And uh, look forward to this weekend and uh, saying hello. And it's going to be a great weekend. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, a very familiar voice. He does a lot of things, and especially with IndyCar in mind, you know him very well. Nobody knows more about it, both past and present. Nobody is a bigger fan of it. And you can go to at the underscore fans underscore place. It is the fans place to find his work and also uh, find your opportunity to win something extra special that you've been wanting that I'll retweet right now. Tony Donnie, who's on the Andy Moore, Automo- Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How was that? Stumbling down the stretch there for me, just for you. In honor of you, I stumbled on your intro at the end. Well done. It's all right, John. I'm always there to pick you up, man. Thanks for having me. How you guys doing? <laughs> Great. What's up? Hey, first things first, you and Connor Daly tonight up in Noblesville, correct? Uh, yeah, Connor's at the Hamilton Sound Town Center tonight, and tomorrow night he has his final appearance uh, with Michelob Baltro and our friends at Zinc, uh, which would be really cool. They have some cool prizes. You can win yep. a Connor Daily Michelob Ultra cooler, uh, some swag. He'll be signing autographs. Uh, so yeah, got a lot going on this month of May, or I guess two weeks of May. Who do we need to give love to over at Zinc? By the way, who's working with you? Uh, Courtney's doing a great. Oh, job I love Courtney. Here. Love yeah. Courtney. We all love Courtney. Garrett's helping us out. Uh, both Jim and Chris uh, helping us get this promotion going. And, uh, yeah, if you retweet what we sent out to you, the Fans Place app, we're a local sports prediction app here in Indy um, under the Techstars banner, which has some, which helps upstart companies get going here at Indy. There's uh, the Speedway, the Colts, the Pacers are invested in it. And we partner with a lot of uh, bars here locally, like obviously the Slippery Noodle, one of your favorite places. Yep. Connors, Average Joe's, um, about 50, 50 to 60 bars here in town, and you can play free sports prediction contests daily. Uh, we have a daily street contest, and it is always free to the users. So uh, it's a lot of fun to check out. We have a huge IndyCar contest going every week with prizes from the shop in Broad Ripple, and this week we have huge prizes, uh, some autographed items for our Indianapolis 500 contest coming up on Sunday. Um, how how is the uh, new ownership doing with the noodle? Because I, I I haven't talked to my man Cappy in a while. I love Cappy, and I know that they uh, transitioned into new ownership. How's it going? Yeah, we were over there last week with the fans place Michelob Ultra and the simulator that we've rented uh, that we bought and taken to a bunch of uh, different bars in town yeah. to kind of simulate what it's like to run Indy five hundred, and it was great. Uh, I, I seemed to me it was a flawless transition. I don't know how the ins and outs and the workings of it went. Uh, but certainly was a fun time there. I had a great crowd, and uh, 
It's always good to be at the Noodle. You know that. No, no doubt about that. Tony Donahue, again, you can find his his work and you can find your chance to win right now at the Fans Place. Again, that's at the underscore fans underscore place on Twitter to retweet and win. So I mentioned this to Kevin Bowen right before you came on. Simon Pagino of Meyer Shank Racing joined me in the 3 o'clock hour and called a shot. And the reason why he called this shot is because, A, he feels really good about his chances, but, B, he said the last time he felt this good about where he is in his car and his team was when he won it, and he also said he called his shot back in 2019. Is there a reason to give that much more of a look than maybe some might be right now? I love Simon. I love the confidence, and he had a really good 500 last year finishing inside of the top 10. Uh, Michael Young made the point earlier in the show, and I, I, I agree 100%. It's just tough to win from 15th on back. The track position is tough. Unless you get a yellow and you can move up towards the field, which Connor Daly has done the last couple of years to lead uh, numerous laps, not only last year, but 2021 as well. Um, I like Simon Pagino. The transition to Meyershank Racing hasn't been what I think he is expected it to be a year and a half into it. Uh, I do like the confidence, but it's going to be a, a tough go of it for Simon. But but he's fast, he's methodical, and he's one of those guys that knows how to be there at the end. And this is a veteran race. I mean, Marcus Erickson last year at 32 years old, and Alexander Rossi in 2016, who was 26. Those are the youngest winners we've had in like 15 or 16 years at Indianapolis 500. This is a this is a 35 plus uh, Indianapolis 500 winner series that we've had over the last probably 10 to 12 years. Think about Elio and Sato and even Simon, uh, Will Power, um, Juan Pablo Montoya, your boy, back in 2015. So this, this, is, a, this is a quote-unquote in IndyCar terms and an old man's race. So he can certainly be there at the end. And, and all you got to do, as Connor said, is be there after that last pit stop inside of that top five and anything can happen. You think this goes deeper than the first three rows? Because Track Dude and I were talking about that, and he may have even said the first two rows. But do they? is there realistically a shot once you dig any deeper past the first three? I mean, you go back to 2017 to Takuma Sato. Uh, everybody has started inside, I believe, the top 12 positions going back to 2017. Um, it could. It's, it's going to be a, it looks like it's going to be perfect temperatures, 80 degrees. So, you know, the tire degradation is really what's something to watch out for. And I think the tires, the fuel will outlast the tires on Sunday. So you'll see a lot of drivers trying to undercut. So if you're seventh, seventh, eighth, ninth on back, you undercut the leaders where you pit early, hope you get a yellow and that can cycle you through and, and that can screw you like it did Alex Pillow last year where he had just dove on the pit road when the yellow came out. That cycled them all the way back as the pits had closed. You had to come through. Um, it, it could happen, but, you know, if, if, if you're looking to pick a winner, I think it's going to come within that first. I'd probably give you row five because Ed Carpenter, I think Scott McLaughlin are in that, that, that row five, if I'm not mistaken. But anybody 15th on back, 16th on back, I know I want to add Connor in there. It's, it's going to take a perfect day as every driver you talk to talks about. Uh, it can certainly happen, but but I think your winner comes from those first, probably, at, at most, four rows. Well, in, in, in Pagano in 2019 went from uh, pole to win, and a lot of people are thinking that's what Alex Pillow is going to do, go from the pole to win. And I was talking to Pagano about how perfect you have to be, and he goes, you kind of know you already have the car, then you have to maintain you know, a level of near perfection as you wheel that thing around. Might we see that happen, much like we did with Pagano 
in 2019? It's possible. Um, Alex Pelot is the guy who finished second two years ago and, you know, nearly won the race going late into that race with Elio Castro Neves. And then last year, he had the second best car. And like I said, uh, he got shuffled back from that pit stop when he came in uh, under the yellow flag. So it can certainly happen. And, you know, you have to have more of a perfect race starting in the middle of the pack to get up front. You know, you don't want to get messed up in somebody else's accident. You don't want to go into turn one and lap one and somebody makes a bold move and you don't see it and it ruins your day before it started. I mean, it, it'll be set on the broadcast. It's set every year. You can't win it in the first term, but you can certainly lose it in the first term. As far as Alex Palo goes, I mean, he is just rolling on all cylinders. And, yes, it's very similar to 2019 with the the, the, the dominating Grand Prix performance, even though Simon kind of came through the rain in that Grand Prix race, but then to qualify on the pole. Uh, but Simon is the only driver to win the 500 from the pole dating back to 2009, when Elio Castro Neves did it. Um, so it doesn't happen that often. Uh, it, it's tough to be on the pole, get out in front and lead because you're breaking that air for everybody behind you. So you're going to have less fuel mileage. And once you get past and you get shuffled back, there's just so many adjustments you have to make to your car. Usually when somebody leads and dominates, and then if something were to happen on a restart and a drive, you know, two or three cars pass him, you got to adjust your car so much that it just totally changes the dynamic. So it's very tough to win from the pole here. So Tony Donahue again, and I want you to go ahead and get on Twitter here, and it's the fans place at the underscore fans underscore place where you can retweet and win. And this reminder that Tony and Connor Daly of ECR will be up at Hamilton, uh, at the Hamilton Center, right? At uh, Total Wine. Is that where you are tonight? Yep. Connor will be up there later on tonight. Should be a, uh, should be a good autograph signing up there close to his, uh, to his hometown. Who's your pick, by the way? To win? Yeah. I'm going to go to Kumasato. Wait a minute. That's what I did. But then uh, Passion tried to change my mind. Uh, well, he said you, you need to go Connor, with me. I better, I better get off of that and pick somebody else, right? <laughs> well, um, I listen, I'm a jinx. Like I mentioned Indiana State and the Missouri Valley Conference. They, they were like down to UIC a minute ago. So I'm doing my best to try to hose everybody. There's no way Connor Daly is going to be happy about coming on this show as an end result. So, is that the Costanza effect that you feel oh, like you, you're giving I'm, out? I'm just a jinx, I think, right here. Yeah, I don't yeah, like. I, I like Takuma Sato much like you did, uh, but I I can't lie. The the Pagano because he's been there and done that, uh, kind of caught and piqued my interest a little bit earlier today. But I'll probably stick with Sato. And and I don't know if you feel this way too, uh, but a guy that is flying a little bit under the radar and, and hasn't came up as much as Alexander Rossi. I really like the way his car was in traffic on Monday. We'll see on Friday. That's a beautiful livery dating back to Johnny Rutherford, McLaren, Indianapolis 500 win. Rossi is hungry. We know back in 2019 he finished second. He was right there. Um, I think on Sunday we're going to be talking about late in the race, Alexander Rossi being in the hunt as well. It's Tony Donahue back here gloriously. Everything going okay for you? Everything's good, man. I mean, of course, we want Ed Carpenter to win, right? That's your and I's favorite guy, but yeah, uh, we yeah. shall see. But, yeah, no, the, we got a great contest on the app. I hope everybody will check it out. We want to send two people out to Carb Day. Compliments of the fans' place. Thank you for your time. Um, but, yeah, it's out in that, that there's a building out in Turn 3. I think you've seen it. It's the Performance Center. Uh, you got a great view of the track, a great view of the concert, which I know you're looking forward to a little bit. Yep. Um, and Carb Day should be fine, man. Let's have a drink. Thanks for uh, allowing me to come on and uh, – 
you know, you and I you have a lot of conversations off the air. It's good to be back on the air with you for sure. <laughs> no, I can't thank you enough for chauffeuring Blake and his date around for the prom last month, too. He's still talking about that. <laughs> well, that was, uh, I was happy to do it to help you out for sure. All right, buddy. Appreciate that. And again, all people have to do right now is go to at the underscore fans underscore place to retweet that and try to win, correct? Yeah, download the app, hop in our contest this weekend as well. We do every sport you can think of. We give away gift cards. You can add, you can earn tokens and points to redeem at different restaurants and bars here locally in Indy. We have cash prizes. The shop's been great to add some shirts to our prize list. So just trying to grow it, man. Have a gr- We're having a great time with it. March was huge for us, and, and we're, uh, we're having a hell of a May so far. All right, so Tony Donahue right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Have fun with Connor later on tonight. I'll see you out there Friday. See you Friday. I'll bring you a Mick Ultra. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline for the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. It is Kevin Bowen with us. Kev, did you get the kids in the car? Got the kids out of the car. Out. Yep, yep, home from daycare. Passed them off to mom, so we are good to go here. So what's um, protocol with that? Do you handle them now, or do you handle them more toward bedtime? What happens? Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, obviously, Eddie deals with them every morning with you know me doing the show, and then pretty much I handle every afternoon, and then we try and tag team as best as possible as long as both of us are home between now and bedtime, and then usually split up. One of us gets the easier one. That would be Max, the nine-month-old, and then the other one, it uh, draws the short end of the stick and has to read a couple of books, play a flashlight game, potentially tell Rosie a story before bed. Oh, man. Do you read books to them? I do, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we, we got two books, usually two a night. So Two books I mean, a night? That's a lot right there. Well, Matt, Max is probably going to say, hey, dude, chill out a little bit on the book stuff here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Max, I mean, honestly, Max would just be like, yeah, can we just you know watch YouTube highlights or something at some point? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, let's be, I mean, we're not reading more than, you know, 14 page books here, 12 page books here. So, yeah. So Kevin Bowen with us, do you believe that this is going as far as NFL coverage is concerned where I do that sooner rather than later, we're going to be looking at an all encompassing pay per view scenario? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I felt like out of all the professional sports leagues, the NFL, would and I still think they will hold on to linear, you know, basic CBS, NBC, Fox, etc. Uh, as long as possible, just because it gets the most eyes. And I think the NFL is obsessed with the end of the year rankings of, of the hundred most watched, you know, live events of the year. You know, whatever, seventy-eight of them were NFL games. So I do think they will hold on, but clearly, uh, a message has been sent. I think two big messages here this off season. One the playoff game exclusive on Peacock. Um, so that Saturday night uh, wild card game, which would have been Chargers-Jags this year, that will be exclusive on Peacock. And then I, I don't think people realize, arguably, I would say at least one of the best regular, seasons game, regular season games of the year. I think it's a Christmas weekend. might be the 23rd. Bills-Chargers is also on Peacock. So you know, I think when you get around to that and you realize, boy, you know, I can't watch Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. You know, obviously some people – might go down that route. And I kind of remember this stemming from, you know, when Notre Dame had their first game, I think it was Toledo a few years ago on Peacock, and they were losing late in that game. And it was kind of like the Michigan-Appalachian State game from 
the first ever Big Ten Network game. People were scrambling to either, you know, buy Big Ten Network or, you know, buy, uh, you know. Or trying to cheat it. I remember people, like yeah, the whole thing in social media then, Kev, were people trying to get it for free at that moment just to watch the tail end of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, which obviously now it's become, I think, a yearly occurrence. You know, there's at least one Notre Dame game on Peacock. Um, and then the other big one, obviously, is what, you know, they are doing with Amazon and, and you know, having some flexibility late in the season. I, I think the headline's a little juicier than, you know, maybe the actual – like, I don't think we're going to have more than maybe one Thursday night game flexed all year, if that, just because it's a 28-day period. A whole lot can change in 28 days. They gave Amazon a pretty good Thursday night schedule to begin with, obviously – you know, if you fall into a Colts Broncos situation, you would want to get out of that. But to your overall point, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, we will start to continue to kind of eat away at the typical, you know, CBS, NBC, uh, even ESPN type packages and, and start to have little bits and pieces of that uh, on streaming services. And obviously right now, Thursday Night Football, all of it is on streaming unless, you know, your your local team's playing and then usually, you know, one of the local channels picks it up. It's Kevin Bone with us. Sports guy to sports guy right here. Do we like where all this is going? Do we look at it only as it's beneficial to us? Do we look at it in a broader scope to, all right, so when they continue to change, and I'm talking about the rules aspects, we'll get into that in just a second, that the changes they made at the NFL spring owners meetings in Minneapolis a couple of days ago, that chase anybody off? I mean, are we seeing people chased off right now with NIL and transfer portal, transfer portal NIL on both college and basketball and, and football? Do we, we see you know, people being run off with a pitch clock. We see people being run off just for a variety of reasons uh, with basketball itself. Do we see that happening right now? Well, I – I don't know if the answer is like universal across the board. I I don't think it's to the magnitude that people thought from like an NIL standpoint. I mean, people can be upset about it. People can be irked about it. But, you know, when Indiana plays Purdue, people still watch. When Notre Dame plays USC, people still watch. So, you know, it's, you know, interesting debate. And it's a debate that I have, you know, quite often with, you know, friends or family members that love sports about, yeah, man, I just don't like the NIL and I miss the amateurism of it. But at the end of the day, people still consume it. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe we'll reach a time where either it becomes tiresome or it becomes the norm, and we'll see how people react to that then. But as far as the pitch clock in baseball, I mean, to me, I think that's been an advantage. If if anything, I, I think it's attracted a little bit more of a viewer that says, oh, you know, I just flipped this game on in the sixth inning. I know that I probably only need to commit like an hour, maybe a little bit over an hour, whereas, you know, potentially it was longer than than that I, yeah, I feel like the nba numbers are still super strong based off the tv ratings and everything when you know everybody thought from a whatever a social issue standpoint that people weren't going to stop watching the nba i don't think that's been the case at all so i, I don't think it was like a blanket statement across the board i do think the the potential for streaming to be the norm moving forward like i find it so much easier with cable to just do a, f- a quick little flip back and forth you know for example if you know, I want to watch the Reds tomorrow night, and I also want to watch Game Five. I mean, that's that's pretty easy for me. And if I were, you know, just streaming, uh, that's a little bit more of a hurdle to jump through, which is not just a previous channel. And, and I and I know there's probably ways that you can make it a little bit easier, but for the for kind of the average technological brain, it, it's not as easy as what we're used to with cable. So that could be an element that you know I'm sure 
like my parents getting used to the internet. It's just something that over time uh, people will, will evolve to, but outside of that, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think from a rating standpoint, there's anything that's like drastically down across sports just because NIL or pitch clock or whatever social issues. I can't adapt to, or I couldn't adapt to the whole uh, streaming and having to take that long. Cause I like you, I have, I have direct TV and I have, and, and it by far is not the greatest. It's not a, a fail proof solution to getting what you want, but it's the closest to me to where I know what I want to watch and when I want to watch it and I know it's going to be there. And that's the reason why I don't cut the cord. That's the reason why I, I, I pay a ridiculous amount of money every month. It is so stupid how much yeah, I pay. Same. I mean, I need to be just have my ass whipped for paying that much money. <laughs> but I do because I want everything that I know that I want to see right there for me. So that to me is the best choice to make right now. I don't know if it's going to be the best choice to make in six months or a year or two years down the road, but as of right now, it is for me. I just, it, my daughter has a Roku stick in her room, and while that can be fun watching Pluto and watching old shows like that, which I enjoy, it can be a hassle going from place to place, and I don't want it to be. That's why I stay where I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that you know you and I from there's there's certainly an age difference, but like I couldn't. I, I mean, I am fully on the same page that you are. Whereas there are a lot of people that are my age, thirty three years old, that you know they've been done with cable for several years now. But I, I just I will pay a little bit more for convenience. I will pay a little bit more knowing that from a DVR standpoint, and DVRing Colts games or Pacers games or IU, pretty like all of that is just very easy and seamless for me. And it's just a little bit of a hassle. And you know, some of it is probably job related, but you know, I, I'm a big enough sports fan that I am willing to, I, I think, you know, go down that path. And again, to your point, how long, who knows? Um, and you know, of, of all of it, not to like promote streaming services, but you know, my, my in-laws are big UTT, YouTube TVers. And that seems like a pretty good product. Uh, but there's been times where, you know, they've had, you know, lagging issues or if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe the Pacers are on YouTube TV. I could have been wrong, um, but that's obviously been a problem with, with Valley Sports as well. Um, I do think, you know, when you look at like the Big Ten, for example, and they're starting to be on a lot of different networks, and I think that will be something that will be interesting. Like, I don't, I don't remember exactly what the breakdown was, but isn't there like a decent chunk of Big Ten games on Peacock next year? Uh, I'm talking about the basketball game. Right. And then, you know, obviously they've kind of, they've bled into the F1 or um, FS1, I should say. So, you know, primarily it's just been like, okay, Big Ten Network or ESPN. Like those are the channels you have to look for on a Tuesday night for Indiana and Iowa. Well, now it's, okay, are they on FS1? Oh, you know, are they on Peacock? Like now it's going to be a little bit more. And obviously then you're getting into cable and streaming. So, I, I guess to your earlier question about will that start to turn some people off, you know, possibly. Um, maybe you will see some viewership numbers go down, but I, I think the brands are strong enough that they will have staying power. Maybe you'll just lose out on a little, little bit more of a casual game. Like, hey, I'd love to watch, you know, Arkansas and Alabama as a two-point game with three minutes to go. Well, I'm not going to scramble out of my way to find SEC Network or ESPN Plus to find that. Whereas if it was just a simple click over to ESPN2, 
then obviously I might be a little bit more willing to to do that. The morning show has Kevin Bowen and Jake Query weekday mornings here on the fan from 7 until 10 a.m. And Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline with us now. We used to, in the uh, cow field near my house, when we played football, we did not have kickoffs. We just threw it down the field, right, and took off with it. It seems like that maybe now with kickoffs in the NFL, we're about at that point because it makes you wonder if that's what is going to take place. Why mess with it at all? Yes, no. Yeah, and I think the kick return in general has kind of – I mean, it's not extinct, but would we miss it if it went away? I mean, just to kick. I mean, will we miss it? Will we go? Oh man, I miss that. Yeah, I mean, we probably moan a little bit, but you know, again, how many people are whatever you know jumping up and down for a kickoff? Uh, I mean, sure, it's cool to have an iconic moment that every Super Bowl kind of opened up in that manner every game, but you know, I I think you can make some slight tweaks to it and still kind of keep alive. You know, back end of the roster, guys, I don't know if, again, people really necessarily care about that from a star standpoint, but, you know, I, I thought Zaya Franklin, I thought he had a really accurate tweet. And I again, agree. Zaya's a guy I agree, that, yeah. You know, made his impact in the NFL on special teams first and then has grown into a really good defensive player. Um, but, in, in, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, Zaya Franklin pretty much said, like, at some point you just got to accept that football is a violent game. And if – if you want seven on seven, then go play seven on seven. But you can't just keep trying to, you know, kind of get away from that. And it, it sounds a little harsh. And I appreciate Zaire saying that because it sounds different than just me sitting on my couch to to say that. But I've always kind of felt like you sign on the dotted line for a reason and you know the amount of risk. And can you make tweaks from an equipment standpoint to enhance safety? Certainly. Can you tweak some plays and, you know, try and do that? Yeah. I'm all fine and well with that, but just outright removing plays from the game, I just think that's a slippery slope to go down. Now, again, having said that, it's a kickoff and a kick return. I think the Colts had 33 of them last year, and we know the Colts gave up a lot of points. So if any team was supposed to have a lot of kickoffs or kick returns last year, it would have been the Colts. Uh, so they have less than two a game. So it's not like you're, you're missing some you know, iconic play or even a frequent play. For that matter, I, I am curious. I brought this up to Jake earlier today. I actually think the XFL has a decent alternative to it, and that is pretty much they line up the ten return guys that aren't the actual kick returner, the ten blockers, if you will. They line them up at, at, at their own thirty, and then they line up the ten cover guys that aren't the kicker at the thirty-five. So basically, you have a five-yard period to engage in blocking, and it looks a little bit more rugby scrummish. But that obviously takes out the amount of distance and speed that you know guys can rev up to. And I think we all remember here in Indy that iconic hit that Daryl Reed had on a kickoff. He just, I think, I, for some reason, a Titans player is popping in my head. But just a huge hit that he had on. And, and there's so many, you know, big hits. You know, hell, McAfee's big hit on Trenton Holiday. You know, I, I, I think kind of getting away from that and turning it a little bit more into almost like a punt. That could be something that you go down. And the XFL, I have seen like some creative highlights of teams, you know, being pretty, um, pretty unique with you know, having one of the blockers come down or you know come to the backfield and almost like an end around uh, with the actual actual kick return guy. So you know that could be something that I think that you you know try and do. But um, I guess to the overall point, it just seems like you know by twenty thirty or twenty thirty five, you know you're going to see potentially all of the kicking out of the game outside of, you know, maybe field goals.
So what do you do with the onside kick, which I think is the real reason why it even hangs on right now? What, what do you do with that? I know it doesn't happen very often. I know that there's not a, an exciting outcome very often, but when it is, it certainly is. What do you do with that? And it's a way for a team to, to maintain, try to get back in. Yeah, I, I actually like the 4th and 15 idea. Um I think the Pro Bowl, didn't they do that in the Pro Bowl this year? I think year? so, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something that, and it looks like the NFL is open-minded to that. I mean, 4th and 15 from your own 20, own 25, something like that. Now, that I think that is a much higher percentage to have a success rate. I get it's 4th and 15, but in a pass-happy NFL, and when defensive backs panic at every moment down the field, all it takes is one flag, and boom, you've got a first down and you got the ball back. So... That is probably the path that I would go. Because, I mean, onside kicks, I mean, you literally have guys out there that are just purely out there to give up their body and, you know, basically just take out the front line of defense, if you will, and allow a, you know, Jack Doyle or a Michael Pittman to, you know, field the uh, field the onside kick. So that is a play. And, again, I know I'm probably talking out of both sides of my mouth now because I, I'd like to see the kickoff tweaked a little bit but still in there. The onside kick to me is, again, it's a play that happens, I mean, what five times a season yeah. for a team if right. that and you but, know, but you if you need it if you need off. it and it's not there it is going to be hugely yeah, missed screwed. yeah right right then you're screwed but i just i think the zaire franklin tweet is pretty darn accurate on how i feel about it and i know it's a bit harsh and i know that you know, there is a safety element that obviously the NFL is taking into this. And, you know, the highest concussed play in the league, they say, is is kickoff. And they feel like this will bring down the percentages of not only the concussions on that play, but, you know, how many times teams will actually kick return it. Uh, you're probably going to have to throw back, I would think, a little bit more of a smarter kick returner. I, I'd opt for a little bit more intelligence and pure speed because, I do think you'll have some decisions to make on, you know, when to fair catch and, you know, what yard line exactly you would do that on. But, I mean, for the most part, I I, I feel like that the money is at a level where when you sign on that dotted line, you know where it is and you know what the rules are when you sign up for it. It's not like you are signing up and saying, oh, the game will get safer in three or four years or they're going to do this and they're that. Equipment enhancement without question, continue to try and develop helmets and and, and all of that. Um, but I think if you continue to tinker with the game too much, I don't know. I think that'll frustrate some people. Yeah, good luck with that. Continue the frustration. <laughs> hey, by the way, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, uh, but on Saturday when when Jim Irsay, you know, without anybody asking, tweeted his top five players of all time, didn't mention Peyton Manning, I, uh, I did tweet out saying how – uh, misguided and misjudged that was and it appeared that he also got that word because he made some adjustments to that on twitter yesterday too did you notice i think we're on apology number 13 <laughs> if, if, I, if i'm not mistaken well, I, you, I you've got to put manning in there and i don't care if you're, you're going with you know you're being real about it no you got to put manning in there if you're jim ursay every single time yeah, I think he might be tweeting about this more than he t- uh, tweeted about that whale, Lolita, there for a while. There was one point I thought if it wasn't Anthony Richardson at four, they might take the whale. The whale. At, yeah. at, at, at four. Um, he, I mean, yeah, if you're, say, as much as I appreciate his candor and, you know, I appreciate his honesty, he is supposed to be 
the biggest cheerleader um, for the Colts. And yes. The Manning relationship is already uh, not what I think he would hope it to be. So you would think if anyone would realize that, he would be one to go down uh, that, that path and make sure that Peyton would be on any sort of list that is made there. So I would love, love to hear some true serum out of Peyton Manning when he saw that. And now he's seen the well, seven apologies thing. Most people felt that it was kind of a reaction from Jim from seeing Manning at that Denver game in the postseason and, you know, being a part of Denver. And whenever you see him, he normally has an orange tie on, it seems. But, I mean, to me, that's just where he is right now. And that's just the way that it is yeah. right now. But it doesn't matter. It does not matter whatsoever. You got to keep in mind, I mean, Jim Irsay cut him loose. Jim Irsay fired him. So those feelings, no matter what he says, are always going to be there. Maybe not prevalent, maybe not angry, but will always be there. But so should the feelings of Jim uh, of understanding and appreciating what somebody did to really help keep his team in this market and certainly to elevate it to a place to where a lot of people, when they first got here for the first 10 plus years thought it would never be. So that recognition always needs to be there from the owner. Yeah. And I think it's a reminder to Jim of like, you know, when you do bring those people back in your organization or you do cut them like they're, you know, you are going to have some repercussions down the road. And, and I kind of bring that up a little bit more from a Jeff Saturday standpoint of like, you know, when you threw him into the fire and and now you kind of expose him a bit in a role that he's not used to, I mean, right or wrong, you're just going to bring natural criticism from from your fan base uh, to that guy. I, I, I do think there comes a point in time where people will kind of remove themselves and, you know, recall that, you know, Saturday was obviously a great player and a huge part of that era, but it's pretty fresh right now, the other role that you brought him here to do. So, you know, Manny lives in Denver. He's going to do the scheduled video. Every year the Broncos, yep. you know, Marshall's going to grow up and wear a Russell Wilson jersey for the next yep. couple of years and whatever. I mean, like it, and if they're going to like the too. Nuggets and not the Pacers, all that. Yes, right. Mm. And, and that's just you know that's that's part of life. And I'm sitting here saying you know 2011, 2012 should have been different because of all of that. But I just think there's got to be a level of acceptance. But at the same time, you still acknowledge Peyton for what he has done and what he, in a way, continues to do. For your, uh, for your franchise. All right, Graham's griping at me here. I got to go really quick, but I did want to ask you this. Are there pretty good odds that at some point this summer in a deal, and I would expect the Pacers, as I'm sure you do as well, to be active, that Buddy Heald's going to be a part of it? Do you buy Buddy Heald coming off the bench and being a sixth man with this team coming up this year? That's interesting. I haven't given that a ton of thought. He has done that at some point in his career, correct? I, I, I believe so, yes. Full, yeah. Full-time starter. Um, I, I would think he'd be relatively open-minded to it. You know, Buddy, obviously, as long as you get him his shots, I think he will be – so what are you, are you thinking? You're adding someone with Matherin and Halliburton. Yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I think I think there's going to be um, already established player city at some point this off season. That's what my thinking is. You. Yeah, see, I, I wouldn't mind a Turner, Matherin, Heald, Halliburton. There's four of the five, and then you add the fifth piece uh, into that starting lineup. And, again, let's just throw out a, a, a random name of an a OG Ananobi or a Jalen Brown, and let's shoot for the moon here for a second. Like, I think in today's NBA, that guy could play the four. And, sure, you're going to have lineups where you're going to go a little bit bigger and things like that, but um, that is kind of how I view things right now. Because I do think healed spacing is just so vital. Well, I do too. Just being guarded. Yes, I agree. 
something defensively, but you know, he's one of the top five or six guys in the NBA in terms of scouting report. We don't leave him at all. And that is extremely valuable when you have Matherin out there who is a bit streaky and obviously Tyrese from a driving standpoint. Well, I'm almost proud of you right here because you're actually talking about this in the now and not about the future. Because when I bring this up and I talk about how essential Buddy Heald is for this team in volume three-point making and the fact that you have to account for him wherever he is defensively if you're the other team, all I get in return is, well, his contract's going to be incredibly outdated and way too expensive. you got to get rid of him coming up before the All-Star break so, or before the trade deadline. I get that all the time. So you are like on the same page. You kind of want to go after it right now with me. That's yeah, well done. I, I, I will say this about Heald. I just think he's got a skill that won't deteriorate like some other guys. Like shooting, I think, is an art that you can do for a, a decently long time in the NBA compared to like pure athleticism or explosiveness or however else you want to describe it. Heald's also been very durable. Now, having said that, he's a huge liability on the defensive end. So I don't view any, I mean, outside of, I guess, Halliburton. I mean, hell, no one is untouchable. In my, this would be five untouchable players in the NBA, if that. So I'd answer calls on everybody, to be frank. But I think there is an extreme value to having Buddy Heald on your team. And if you were to not have him, you better take a massive step forward defensively because that's going to hurt you offensively well, from a spacing standpoint. That'd be the only reason. The only justifiable reason is because he can't play defense. And you mentioned that that is a sustainable asset he has, a three-point shooting that won't go away anytime soon. Neither will his higher level of defensive play. That's not going to happen either. So you got to take good with the bad. And in a league where we see it right now, three-point shot-making ability, my friend, I will take it. So, yes, right there with you. All right. What you guys got coming up tomorrow? We have got, I think, Connor Daly, if I'm not mistaken. I think we're still trying to get a few more drivers on, certainly tomorrow or Friday. Um, and then I think Chris Denary joins us. So Jake passes it off to Chris Denary and leaves Chris two or three seconds to give his turn four analysis in and then passes it to Mark James. So, yeah, uh, yeah we'll have uh, Chris Denary on tomorrow. Simon Pagano came on today and called the shot. He said he's going to win a second. Ooh, I like it. We had Pagano on a few times last year. He's, yeah. uh, he's a really good interview. Yeah, nice. I, I agree. It, um, pretty cool. He said he did that, uh, but nobody really knew about it in 2019 when he won. He had, he had called his shot um, right before the race, and he said he really hadn't shared that story before. So I found that interesting, but he called his shot for Sunday right here. I respect it. He's starting to kind of in the back. Get some nice odds on Simon Pagano. Got it. All right. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry tomorrow morning, 7 until 10 a.m. We'll see you out there coming up on Friday, too. Thanks, Kev. All right, John. See you Friday.